Well, today we are starting a new series called, What If Everything Jesus Said Was True? 2,000 years ago, uh, John, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, uh, later in his life, wrote down the person and work of Jesus. And he wrote down a lot of things that Jesus said. John heard Jesus say that, that he was the way and the truth and the life, and that no one came to the Father except through him. John heard Jesus say that he was the resurrection and the life. John heard Jesus say that I am the good shepherd, I am the door. John heard Jesus say that if you don't come to me, you won't receive life. John heard Jesus say that he could forgive sins. John heard Jesus say that he's the judge of the world. John heard Jesus say that he's coming again. All of these things. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and as we begin our study in the book of John, we ask the question, really? Is every single word Jesus said, is everything about his story true? And if it is, what does that mean for you and for me. For the next 18 weeks, well actually for 18 weeks, we'll be going through the Gospel of John. The first uh, seven weeks will be uh, prior to Christmas. And then we're going to take a, a five-week break during the month of January to talk about the family. But then we're going to resume for 11 more weeks leading up to Easter, going through the Gospel of John, looking at what John wrote about Jesus. And not only did John hear Jesus say all of these things and make all of these claims, but John saw Jesus hanging on a cross, dead, buried, and raised the third day. And John, like the other disciples, could not be stopped. He is alive. He has risen from the dead, just as he said. And 2,000 years later, we're going to look at the words of John. Why did John write this book, this gospel? Well, he tells us right near the end in John chapter 20 and verse, verses 30 and 31. He wrote this, John, Jesus, performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this so that we, 2,000 years later, could believe. Now, as we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to find that John uses the word believe a lot. The other three Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all wrote about Jesus, and each of them uses the word believe 15 times or less, or under 15 times. John uses the word believe almost 100 times, 98 times that you may believe it's this active, living, continual trust. And notice John says, not that you would believe in belief or believe something. We're told today that it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe something. And John would say, that is a lie. You need to believe in Jesus. And not just in Jesus, but who Jesus was. Today, we, uh, as we look through history, 
we find Jesus described, his identity described in a number of ways. If you uh, look down through history, you'll read things like Jesus was a liar and a blasphemer. There's some people that believe that. Jesus was a lunatic, that he um, had this false view of himself, of reality. Uh, that Jesus was a philosopher, that Jesus was a teacher, that Jesus was a good teacher, that Jesus was a charismatic faith healer, that Jesus was a first century apocalyptic prophet. In Islam, Jesus is um, a prophet inferior to Muhammad. Uh, in Hinduism, some hold he's a, a holy man or a sage, others hold that he is a manifestation of one of, their key, of, one of the key gods. Uh, others believe that Jesus is the first feminist, Others, the first socialist. Others, that he is a therapist. Uh, in the prosperity gospel movement, uh, Jesus has been reinvented, and he's very small. In progressive Christianity, Jesus has been reinvented, and he's very small. And John is saying, I'm writing this so that you will believe not in any of those Jesus, but that you would believe in the Jesus who is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the Messiah is the word for deliverer. Savior. He's the promised one. All through history, if you're investigating the Christian faith, the Bible is a story about God. And in the beginning, God created all things good. You are created good. We are all created good. But because we chose to sin, because of the fall with free will, sin entered into our experience. But God loves us so much that he announced to the first man and the first woman, I'm going to send a promised one. A Messiah. The first time we find that is in Genesis 3.15. He's going to come. And John writes to us and said, the one that's been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, that's who I want you to believe in, the Messiah, and the one who is the Son of God. That God himself took upon human flesh and became one of us and walked on this planet 2,000 years ago. And friends, that's mind-boggling when you begin to think about that. And I ask you, is it really true? Is Jesus really the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human flesh? And so John wants us to believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, so that we might have life. Implication that we do not have life apart from Jesus. We exist but this life with God, this union with God, is through Jesus. And John says, I want you to come into a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. So during this series, I want to, and even today, if you're not yet a Christian, our desire, along with John's desire, is that you would come to believe in Jesus and you would come to love him. And if you are a Christian, that during this series, and outside of Sundays, that you would gaze upon the person of Jesus, his beauty, and that you would look and try to understand his work and what he's accomplished for on your behalf. Because as you journey through the Gospel of John, as your mind is on Jesus, you will begin to worship him, obey him, and trust him. And so our hope is, at the end of this series, that we will all say, man, I love Jesus more. I know him more. And also during this season, we are going to take some intentional steps as a church family 
to be more intentional to reach out to those who still are not yet followers of Jesus. We've been called to share the good news about Jesus. We've been called to speak the truth in love. And together, we're going to take some intentional steps. And we're going to begin next week with the first step. But if you're like, I could never say anything about Jesus, um, you can. God can use you. God can use us. So our goal is that Jesus would be lifted up and that we would all love him more and experience life in his name. So today, as we begin, I'd like to begin with this question. Who are you? Okay, who'd like to stand up and describe themselves? Who are you? What would you say? If we said, okay, we know your name. Tell us about yourself. Like, what's your story? What makes you, you? Do you really know? It sounds like a simple question, but it is a little more complicated because our identity, who we are, is complex. It's, it, it has a number of components. There's a physical component, a psychological component, social component, spiritual component. They're all at play is our personality, our race, our gender, our ethnicity, our appearance, our education, our likes, and our dislikes. Who am I with all of those things making me me? Uh, as we journey through life, we're in a culture right now uh, where we see people uh, trying to latch on to anything and everything, really, to find out who they are. And some people are finding their identity in a relationship. I'm so-and-so's boyfriend. I'm so-and-so's girlfriend. I'm a grandma. I'm, a, um, I'm single. Uh, others in their career. I'm a, a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a clerk. Others in uh, their uh, objects, what they own. I'm a member of the Ford pickup truck club. <laughs> I live in this neighborhood. Others, uh, and this is a growing one in our culture today, sexuality. I'm, it all depends on my sexual desires. That's who I am. And others, it's sports and hobbies. I'm a fan of this team, and I'm a diehard you know, cheerleader for this team. And all of those things that we attach ourselves to, they make us feel valued, loved, accepted, part of something. And so we see people all around us just trying to latch on to, to anything and everything. And maybe you're here today in your 40s or even 50s, and, and if you were, to ask the, you were to ask the question, who are you, you just still don't know. Or maybe you're in your 20s and you're younger or a teenager and you're like still trying to figure out, who am I? Wherever you are today, however well you know yourself, please understand that the voice, the message you are hearing day after day after day in our culture, in the West, is this. You are your own, and you belong to yourself. So we hear things like, be true to yourself. Speak your truth. Don't let anyone tell you how to live. And we're being told that no one can define our identity, that no one can choose our journey or our values, that no one can give us a purpose, that no one can determine where you belong. It's all up to you. You create your own identity. You be who you want to be. And that sounds so empowering. It sounds so freeing. But the problem is, it leaves us depressed, anxious, alone. Because if I have to create my own identity, if it's all up to me, man, I've got to get to work to prove to you that I'm worthy, that I'm valuable. 
I've got to get to work to show you and justify my existence. And so we have people just running around self-improvement. Give me that label. Give me that label. Here's who I am. And they're just exhausted. And still we have others who are like, I'll never get any of those labels. I'm a loser. And I'm just checking out. I'm just going to self-medicate. It sounds so powerful to create your own identity. And we've got culture just going there. But friends, can I say that identity is so shallow, it is so limited, it's so exhausting. That's one vision for your life, but there is another vision for your life. And it's the good news of Jesus. And John, through his gospel, will lift up this Jesus with the hope that our identity is found in him. Friends, we were made for something so much greater by someone so much bigger. The good news of Jesus is strikingly different, a different, strikingly a different vision for our life than the one the world offers. We were made to belong to God. God designed you and me to be in a relationship with him, to belong to him. And we can be united to him because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He made that possible. Our sins could be forgiven and we could be restored to our relationship with God. And that's why we find Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, who had so many labels. I mean, he was just like a rock star at one point in his life. And he took all those labels and he said, I'm putting them here. My label simply is this. I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian, a Christ one. I'm a child of God. That's what drives my life more than anything. And he writes to Christians and he says, listen, you belong to God. You were bought with a price. Two visions. You belong to yourself. You choose your identity. Or you belong to God. Let him work out his identity in your life. God wants you to be free. Jesus said, if you continue in my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will be free when you embrace more and more of who you were made to be, the real you in Jesus. Because you won't have to go around proving to people that you're worthy. If someone sticks a label at work on you or at school and says, you're less than me, someone gives you the culture, like, you're beneath me, doesn't matter. Oh, it hurts, but you belong to God. What he says about you that's what's true, that's what's mattered. And he says you're valuable, you're loved, you're forgiven. It sets you free from trying to prove yourself. It sets you free from trying to justify your existence and coming up with, why am I here? Oh, I've got a purpose from God to live for him, and we'll be talking about that in the next number of weeks. Who are you? Today we're going to begin, as we look at the Gospel of John, at John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, because he was asked that question, who are you? What's your identity, John the Baptist? Please tell us. And we're going to see how he responds, and may it affect and influence how we respond as well. So John chapter 1, if you have a Bible, and you'll notice the first 18 verses are kind of grouped together as the prologue. And John, uh, unlike the other three gospel writers, when he begins to write about Jesus, doesn't begin with a birth narrative or a genealogy. He gets right to the point of lifting up Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to talk about the Word being life and light. 
and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the first part of his letter, he says, Jesus is God. He is not like us. He's human, but he's also God, his deity. And we'll talk about those first 18 verses as we get closer to Christmas. Today, we're going to begin in verse 19, where John, um, the gospel writer, uh, begins to describe the public ministry of Jesus. So for the first 12 chapters of John, and I encourage you to read through this gospel sometime during this series, if not this week, but the first 12 chapters, he talks about Jesus and his public ministry, and in the last nine, he then begins to transition, talking about the approaching cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So John, Jesus is God, and now he's going to tell us about another John, John the baptizer, and how Jesus first met him. And we're looking at who John the baptizer is. What's his story? What makes him him? So let's begin in verse 19 of chapter 1. John, the disciple of Jesus, writes this. Now this was John's testimony, speaking of John the baptizer, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to look, to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 2,000 years ago, John, and he's got the nickname Baptist or Baptizer, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. In Israel, you'll notice that there is the Sea of Galilee in the north, and there is the Dead Sea in the south, and in between is the Jordan River, and it's east of Jerusalem. It borders on Jordan. And so 2,000 years ago, this guy out in the Judean wilderness, east of Jerusalem, he's baptizing people. He's a spiritual phenomenon. Crowds are flocking to see him. He is just... I'm trying to say in social media how many views he had or likes. I mean, he's got it. Everybody's coming to hear him because of his message. And the other three gospel writers tell us his message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around. Stop living a life without God. Stop doing evil. Turn around because the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the reign of God, the rule of God is near. He's here. So turn. And so people are just flocking out to this wilderness to hear this guy. And what's the problem with that? Well, you'll notice in verse 19 that the Jewish leaders, um, John the Baptist got their attention, and so they sent a delegation out to ask him who he was. Now, why did they do that? Well, 2,000 years ago, the emperor of of Rome was Tiberius. Um, If you can remember, there's Julius Caesar. He was not an emperor, but after him, there is Augustus. Uh, When Jesus was born, he was the emperor at the time, or Octavian. So there was Augustus, and then there was Tiberius. And Tiberius ruled over the Roman Empire, but in the far eastern corner, the Jewish people in the land of Israel had a little bit of power, a little bit of jurisdiction which they could rule over. So we had King Herod, we have the Sanhedrin that's made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, we have the chief priests. And so they have a little bit of power. But part of their thing was, is that they were to make sure there was peace in the land. In addition, there was Pontius Pilate, the governor. Peace in the land. If word got back to the emperor that they weren't keeping peace, 
troops would be sent in. And we know in AD 70, that's what happened. The whole city was destroyed. But in that day, these chief priests, these leaders at the temple in Jerusalem had a bit of power. And they're really concerned because there's this guy where the people are starting to flock to him. There's this movement beginning. And they're wondering who John the Baptist is. So they go. And the priests and Levites, these were, they were lower on the totem pole. The priests were the ones that did the daily te- uh, sacrifices in the temple. The Levites were like security, temple security uh, assistants. They all go out into the wilderness. They see John, and they ask him who he was. Look what John says as he defines himself. I am not the Messiah. The first question they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the ones that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and all that, that they talked about? Are you the one that's been promised to come and rescue, to save, to deliver? In that day, in the first century, there were a number of false messiahs, people that claimed to be the Messiah, and, uh, and they all ended up on a cross or, or killed in some way. Um, Jesus wasn't the only one who said he was the Messiah. There were others. Are you a Messiah? the Messiah. And look what John says. No, he confesses freely. I'm not that guy. John knew who he wasn't. Next question, are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask him if he was Elijah? Because 400 years earlier, the prophet Malachi said that before the day of the Lord comes, there would be Elijah, that he would come. And John the Baptist said, no, I'm not Elijah. Now, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, but he wasn't Elijah. Then they asked him, are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? And why did they ask him that? Because 1,300, 1,400 years earlier, Moses, as he's standing on the, on the edge of the promised land before he dies, speaking to this new generation, like the Pepsi generation, hey, when you go into the land, here's what you're to do and not to do. And Moses also says in Deuteronomy 18 that God will raise up a prophet, listen to him. Oh, if Moses said that, we better keep our ears open. Are you this prophet that Moses talked about? And John says, no. John knew who he was not. Verse 22, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Listen, we've got to make a trek back to Jerusalem. We've got to tell them something, like tell us who you are. Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Interesting John's response. Who are you? Now, we know from the other gospel writers that John was out in the wilderness and uh, he dressed a little differently with camel skins, leather belt. He ate a little differently. Honey, locusts. Um, he was got to be careful, but he's maybe probably, we could probably safely say he was a little odd. Is that okay? But notice John the Baptist doesn't start with him. So I, I just want to tell you, I'm a vegetarian. I'm just eating honey and locusts, that's all. Or I'm, you know, so-and-so on, you know, in the fashion industry. And, and, or he doesn't talk about this whole baptism thing and his popularity. When he's asked who he is, he connects his story to another story. 
a bigger story. He connects it to Jesus the Lord. And he says, if you go back 700 years to Isaiah, and you all know who Isaiah is, you remember when he prophesied, this is Isaiah 40, when he prophesied that before the Lord comes, the Messiah, there would be one who would come before making straight the paths for the Lord. In their day, they had a picture when a king went to a city or a town a messenger in the ancient world or a messengers would go ahead and they would have two responsibilities. They would go and announce, hey, everybody in the town, the king is coming to your town. Everybody get ready, clean up. But they would also make sure there was a way for the king to get to their town, that the roads were cleared. And many in that day, they rode on chariots so that it was leveled out so they could make a way. And John the Baptist says, you want to know my story? It's connected to another story. I'm the one that Isaiah talked about that is preparing the way for the Lord. Who John is is connected to who Jesus is. Verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So these priests and Levites, these Pharisees, these religious leaders say, if you're not John the Baptist or the Messiah or the prophet, you really don't have a right to be baptizing. You have no Credentials relate to baptize. And John, in a sense, says, I don't need the approval of Jerusalem and the whole religious system that was, in many ways, corrupt at the time. I don't need their approval because I've been called to baptize by someone else. And we see this in the other Gospels, this sense of John was called by the Father to baptize. I baptize with water. My message is about repentance. And that's why what I'm doing out here out in the wilderness. And then John, after telling them that his story is connected to another story, he begins to describe the one that he's connected to. Verse 26 through 28. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Jesus says, my story is connected to one who is present, who is alive. Friends, Jesus is here. He is alive. John said, he's right among you. He's present. Second, John said, Jesus is worthy. Why did John bring up sandals? Because in that day, um, with the dusty roads, rabbis would have disciples or students who would follow the rabbi around and learn from the rabbi. But the rabbis were not paid. And so these students or disciples had to do things for the rabbi. They had a job description, a list with all these things. Go fetch this. Go make sure a meal is prepared. All of these things. But on that list, a student never ever had to untie the sandals of the rabbi. It wasn't on the list because that was beneath a disciple, a student. That was only for a slave. And John says, there's one who is present, who is here with us, and he is so worthy that I can't even do the work of a slave. I can't even untie his sandals. He is so great. 
And then John goes on to say, he also is the one who is the Savior, the Messiah, in verse 24. The next day, or uh, 29, the next day John saw Jesus, again, they're by the Jordan River, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John with his voice pointing, there's the Lamb of God. Now, why did he call him the Lamb of God? Because in that day, the people were familiar that with the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice in the temple, a lamb would be slaughtered. They were aware that 13, 1400 years ago about the Passover lamb and the blood of the Passover lamb. It all meant sacrifice. And so John is saying to them, the one who has come to sacrifice, the one who has come to, to give us life, to bring us life, he's right there. Behold, the ultimate lamb of God. John goes on, verse 30 and 31, verses 30 and 31. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. If you go to the birth narrative of John the Baptist in Jesus, Luke 1 and 2, you will find out that John the Baptist was, was older than Jesus. But John the Baptist says, no, Jesus is actually before me. Jesus is eternal. Verses 32 and 33, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Twice John says, I didn't know him. I want to pause just for a second. Wait a second. John the Baptist, his mother was Elizabeth, Luke 1. Jesus, his mother was Mary. And we're told that when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit her relative, her cousin Elizabeth. So John the Baptist and Jesus were relatives. Yes, they lived the distance apart, but they would have known each other. So what is John saying when he says, I didn't know him? He's saying, I didn't know that my cousin was the promised one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. That was revealed to me when I was baptizing, and John was called to baptize in the Jordan River, so he's dunking people under the water. But with Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests on him. And John says, that's when I knew he was the one. And the dove, again, among the people, it carried a symbolism. Uh, they would have remembered back in Genesis 8 that when uh, Noah, when he sent the dove uh, out of the ark, it eventually rested on dry ground. And the dove was symbolic of safety, of peace, of hope, of a future. And this dove resting on Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our ultimate safety and hope and peace and future. John said, when I saw that dove, the Father made it clear to me, he's the one. And I, not, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Spirit, the Spirit of God on people. And then John says this in verse 34, I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. He's the one that the story is all about. Oh, we have our little stories, 
but scripture, the Bible, is talking about the big story, God's story, and it's all about him. He is God's chosen one. 2,000 years ago, John said, hey, if you want to know who I am, my story, it's connected to another story, a bigger story. It's connected to Jesus, the one who is alive, worthy, Savior, eternal, and the chosen one. So I want to ask you today, who are you? What's your story? Is your story connected to his story? Do you love this Jesus? Is he what drives your life more than anything? He's the one that makes your priorities and your purposes in life um, flesh out. You get it all. Lord, help me because I am a Christian. I am a follower of you. I am a child of God. If you're here and you've never received God's identity that he wants to give to you, today you can become a brand new person by turning to Christ rather than continuing to create your own identity. This is so much bigger, so much greater. This past week, I was upstairs and my daughter was downstairs in the basement playing the piano and she was playing the hymn all the way my Savior leads me. And it kind of caught me off guard because as she was playing, I started to get choked up. Because if you know the three verses in All the Way My Savior Leads Me, it's one of a few thousand hymns that Fanny Crosby wrote who was blind. But she talks about going through life and the ups and downs and the difficulties, but that Jesus is beside her, bringing her home to the promised land. And I thought to myself as I was listening, how blessed I am that I'm going through life with Jesus. And that hymn was just a reminder to me, but it, I also thought there are still others that are going through life without Jesus. I want to ask you, who are you? Is Jesus what your life is about? Yes, you have other labels and things that make you you, but you understand he's the label that matters the most. If everything he said is true, then he is life. He is your life. I, if I was to stand up, well, I am standing up here today, okay. Um, but if I was to tell you about some of the labels I got, one label is husband. Another label I have is father. Another label I have is washed up hockey player. Another label I have is Ivy League graduate. Another label, pastor. Another label, Canadian. Another label, son of Roger and Ann Allen, who just celebrated their 60th anniversary this week. My mom and dad, they're here. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I just got a new label this week. I was at the, uh, the swimming pool, the rec center in town, and after a lane swim, uh, in the change room, two new guys who were just kind of um, newer um, said to, to me, both of them, you're a power swimmer. <laughs> <There's> my... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm going to wear that one for a little while. Okay, I swim with other people at Woodside. There's about four or five. And if I'm a power swimmer, 
I'm swimming with Aquaman and Aquawoman. I mean, they're Marvel superheroes. Maybe compared to these two guys, I'm a power swimmer, but I'm going to wear that. Problem is, is that sooner or later, that label's going to have to change, probably to feeble swimmer. And then eventually, I'm going to have to take all my labels off. And without Jesus, who am I? What do I have? And young people, I will say this to you. You could spend your whole life following the world, trying to create your own identity. You belong to you, nobody else. But I encourage you to read this week Ecclesiastes, the the journal of King Saul, um, who wrote this 3,000 years ago. And, And here's what he says to you. He says, listen, don't waste your life chasing the things of the world. I have more likes than you on Facebook. I have more views than you on TikTok. I have a better car than you. I have more cars than you. I have a better house than you. I'm more powerful than you. I'm more popular than you. I've got it all. But without God living under the sun, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. Don't live your life that way. Fear God and keep his commandments. Make your life about God. That's what it's all about. Young people, you have a choice to choose your vision. Small little vision, limited, shallow vision that we're being told about, or God, I want something more. I belong to you. And when we understand what God says about us and our identities, the most important thing, it frees us from the labels that other people want to give us. Oh, you might not think I'm valuable, but I am. Oh, you might not think that I'm loved, but I am. Oh, you might not think that I'm accepted, but I am. It's all in God. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which a number of followers of Jesus uh, wrote about 500 years ago, um, in the first question, uh, what is your only comfort in life and in death? They respond with this, and may this be your response as well. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And may we know this Jesus. Amen.